Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. Brad is not with us this morning, and this is honestly probably the most difficult thing I've had to word all morning, because I know what will happen. If I don't say this carefully, some of you are going to panic. So hear me now when I say Brad is guest preaching at a church in Atlanta, Mount Vernon Baptist Church. He was invited by a friend, Aaron Menikoff, who is and will remain the pastor there, asking Brad to come and speak and encourage the saints in Atlanta. Don't worry, deep breath, exhale, inhale, all that. All right, I'm here this morning. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors of the church, and we're glad you're with us this morning. We're taking a break from Romans today. We're going to be in Acts, the book of Acts. In particular, we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's a short little story in the life of the early church, but it has ramifications for us today as uh, the Bible tends to, to do. Um, while you're turning there, um, well, I'll tell you what, let me just pray for us. We'll do that. Father, we thank you for your word. I am, um, I'm aware in this moment of how ill-equipped I might be um, and how worthy you are to proclaim this message faithfully. I pray that you give me grace, that you give us all grace as we gather around your word. Um, I pray that, uh, that you would feed your sheep this morning. That you would nourish our souls and that we would come away from this place with a deeper appreciation for the gospel, for the work that you've done to redeem sinners. And, and not just for the gospel message, which we love and cherish, but for all the ways in which your gospel propels us and compels us into caring for one another. So be with us now by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Uh, to give you a little background, the, the book of Acts, if you're not familiar, it's the story of the growing of God's church. Following the Gospels, Jesus commissioned his disciples, if you remember, telling them to go starting in Jerusalem, where the epicenter of this growing faith, and uh, then proceed to the outskirts of town, to Judea, to Samaria, and finally to the ends of the world. Where we are in Acts, which tells the story of the gospel spread, we're still in Jerusalem. We're still in Jerusalem, and if you're not familiar with your human geography, uh, Jerusalem is the, it's a hub of Judaism. And <clears throat> perhaps you may not realize that there's more than one kind of Jew in the Bible. Uh, maybe you're thinking of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and those are more political or uh, theological doctrinal groups that have split over reasons more along those lines. Uh, but, but this story today doesn't, doesn't pay any attention to that. Instead, it focuses on the, 
the differences, I guess, between two types of Jews that are split more along cultural, uh, even possibly ethnic uh, boundaries. And, and so you have two groups, the Hellenists, who we'll read about. The Hellenists primarily speak Greek. They're, they're Jews. They're not Gentiles. They're Jews. They know the law. They, they cherish God's word. But in, in an area of the world where Roman rule has so altered the landscape, they found it best, for various reasons, to, to speak Greek, to speak the language of, of the people. Uh, there, there are other types of Jews, though, the Hebrews, as they're called, who don't speak Greek, they speak Aramaic. Uh, now, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, it's a different language from that, but, but they're more traditionally linked to uh, Jewish custom and culture and so on. And so we have these two groups who are now coming to faith in Christ. So when I say they're Jewish believers, what I mean is they're not Jews first. What I mean, rather, is that they, they have a Jewish background, a Jewish upbringing, and they've come to faith. They've come to turn and trust fully in Jesus as the Messiah. And, and these two groups are now being put together into God's church. Into God's church. So this story then recounts uh, not a conflict, but, but an issue that arises uh, in, in the way these, these groups interact. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What's the daily distribution? We'll read about this in a minute, but earlier in Acts, it becomes apparent that there are people in the church who have needs. And there are people in the church who have the means to meet those needs. And so it seems best to everyone that they go about distributing to any as they have need, which can include food, in this case for widows. And the 12, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, which is a way of commissioning them for this service. And, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So it concludes with the, the church continuing to grow the word of God continuing to spread, and God's people being fed and encouraged and built up. There's not a major rift that comes from this, but instead some, it's, it's dealt with. And the, the church proceeds uh, to care for one another. Uh, I think there are two main points to this passage, or there are at least two things that I want to talk about. Uh, the first is this, that the church both in this passage, but I think we can agree today as well. The church is built on two kinds of ministry. 
two kinds of ministry, preaching the word and serving tables. Two kinds of ministry, preaching the word and serving tables. You notice, right, when, when the conflict comes about and the Hellenists bring up that their widows are not being cared for, the apostles determine to gather everyone together and the first thing they say is we, we need to be preaching, we need to be praying, we can't devote ourselves to caring for this need like we need to. We need to appoint men who will do this faithfully and well. And, and the men they appoint, if you didn't notice, their, their names aren't your typical sort of Hebrew Jewish names. These are all Greek names. They deliberately set out to find men who, who they know will, will relate to and understand and literally be able to speak with these women. But it, it presents us with a question. Is there a conflict... Is there a necessary conflict between preaching the word and serving one another? Is there a conflict? The, the apostles, they, they say, it's our task to preach and to pray. Let's find some who will serve. Is that presenting us with a dichotomy? Now, let's, let's, let's be clear, right? The apostles, they, are, they, they, they fill a very unique role in the history of the church. We don't have apostles today. The apostles, these are men who witnessed the resurrected Christ. They were commissioned by Jesus to go forward with all that they had seen and heard from him. So their role is not insignificant. When they say it's our task to preach and to pray, it is very uniquely their task. Even within the history of the church, it is their task to preach and to pray. But I think one thing that would help us to navigate this passage is to realize that it is these same men tasked with preaching and praying who tell everyone to stop and let's figure out a way to ensure that those among us who have been overlooked are cared for. The conflict that we might assume is there is really only on the surface. Because the ones who are doing the preaching and praying and who value it most are the same ones who make serving within the church their highest priority. Not only that, it's, it's not like these men are not going to serve, or that they're somehow immune to it. Um, is preaching the word more important than serving one another? Is, is preaching the word, is understanding good doctrine, is is maybe, maybe hearing the word, receiving the word, is that more, more important and more valuable to you than serving one another, than caring for one another, meeting the needs that we all have? You know, it's a, it's a common thing that I'll hear and, and the other pastors will hear, and, and I, I understand the sentiment, and it, it's encouraging where people will say, we, just, we love the preaching here. We love the preaching at Crosspoint. It's what draw, drew us to the church. We want to hear the word of God preached, and, and we want to hear the gospel, and we love to hear the preaching. We love Sunday mornings. That's a common thing, and it's, and it's an encouragement, like I said. And it's, it's, it's true. We want to be about and celebrate the preached word of God. What we do on Sunday morning is maybe the most important thing that as a church we do when we gather together and hear the word proclaimed. But you need to know that preaching and, and, and hearing good sermons and 
sometimes bad ones, preaching and all of that, without serving, it, it renders this place a lecture hall and not a church. If, if all you're here for and all you value about the people of God and the, the gathering of God's people is, is, the cons, is consuming the word of God, you might be better off going to the Rotary Club than, than coming here. Because that's not all that the church was designed to be. It's not all that the church is designed to do. And, and not only that, but you might actually misunderstand the word of God that is being preached, if that's the case. Preaching isn't greater than serving, and in fact, it seems that there's a false dichotomy, maybe even in our own age, between serving and preaching, that, that the word of God, that the gospel is, is more important than the way we live the gospel out and serve and care for and love one another. Uh, but but I, I would like to point out that serving, even in this example and throughout the New Testament, serving is both physical, meaning physical needs, and, and spiritual. You may think, well, the gospel, that's the spiritual thing. That's what's most important. How we care for one another, how we hear, hear one another and serve one another is secondary to that. But I'm telling you that they go hand in hand. And you, you cannot have one without the other. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The work of serving within the church, we, we exercise the grace that the Lord has given us. And in some cases, that takes the form of speaking, speaking the truth of God's word. And in other cases, it takes the more traditional form of serving that we tend to think of, of meeting one another's needs, of caring for one another and, and practically shepherding each other. And if it wasn't clear enough, all of this together points us to the glory of God. Not just the word, not just the preaching, but the way that we care for and serve one another. In this text itself, in Acts 6, something interesting happens. They use one word in particular to describe this kind of service. In verse 4, the, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. ESV translates that as ministry, and it's appropriate. It fits. Maybe your translation, if it's different, has a similar word or some other word. But the word there for ministry is the same Greek word as the word used to describe the service that they're doing. In verse 1, when, when they speak about the distribution, the word for distribution is the same word as the word for ministry in verse 4. And not only that, but in verse, in verse 2, when the apostles say we, we, we need people to serve tables, that word is the verb form of this same concept. So what we have here, even in Acts 6, 
the apostles are acknowledging and putting forth for us this, this truth that, that serving, meeting people's physical needs, caring for one another, and preaching the word, the ministry of the word, these are both service to one another. These are both means by which we serve one another. And so serving is both physical and spiritual. It is preaching the word, but it is also meeting and caring for one another's needs. Serving goes hand in hand with preaching the gospel. Serving is a means of grafting believers, one another, into the community of faith. Serving one another, therefore, is a gospel issue. How well we do that reflects the gospel explicitly. Let's think about that. And think about all the, the, the things that, um, that we tend to say or, or that maybe you've heard others say. Uh, I, I've, I've heard, you know, in, in the context of like racial, racial tension in our country, it's often said, well, you know what, but we just need to preach the gospel. And that'll, that'll solve the problem. And, and the gospel is certainly, without question, the antidote to the way we, we, we sin against one another. There's no doubt. But I, I fear that sometimes we say that. We say, just preach the gospel as though it puts the gospel above and beyond the ways that we practically live it out and care for and listen to and serve one another. And that's dangerous. Because by doing so, we actually can co-opt the gospel that we claim to preach. We can nullify the truths that, that we claim to live by. When we, when we talk about the gospel more than we actually care about one another and, and live out the gospel with one another. So then the church is built on preaching and serving. We need both. But a second point is this, that the church must work to care for the neglected. It won't just happen. It doesn't just come about because of good intentions. In Acts 6, you'll notice these, these widows are being overlooked, and it's, it's not a deliberate thing necessarily. There's, there's not any malice here that we can tell. And even when they talk about it, they say in verse 1 that they, were, that they quote, were being neglected. If you've ever written a research paper or ever spent time around a grammar teacher, even for that moment that you did that and never did that again, you know that the passive voice is to be avoided, right, at all costs. We want active voice. We want, we want to tell people what's going on. Use the passive voice. This was happening. This, somebody, this happened to them, you know. The passive voice, we, we, don't, we don't like, but here we see it, and the passive voice indicates, if nothing else, that what's going on here doesn't necessarily have a, a villain at, at, at the head of it all. There's not necessarily a plan by somebody. Let's just, uh, let's just overlook these, these Greek-speaking widows in favor of, of our Arama Aramaic-speaking sisters and mothers. Now, this isn't, this isn't necessarily intentional. But I think we need to realize that 
Intention is only half of the equation. And, and sometimes our intentions can be good or benign, if, if nothing else. But the impact of what we do or don't do is what is loudest. And we, we mean well. If you're married, you've had this conversation a thousand times. Well, that's not what I meant. You just, I'm sorry if I offended you by this otherwise callous, horrible thing I just said. Now, that happens in the church as well. We, we don't always mean ill will, but that, that doesn't make our overlooking one another, our neglecting one another harmless. It just makes it more hidden, maybe more palatable, maybe more comfortable. But honestly, the standard for serving and caring for one another in the church isn't just that we would mean well. It's not just that we would have good intentions in the first place. We actually have to strive to care for one another. Do we, do we strive to care for one another more than ourselves? That is the standard. Uh, if you go to Philippians 2, 3 through 5, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's ours in Christ Jesus because it is Christ's very attitude toward us, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is, is honored, all rejoice together. That's the pattern of, of the gospel. That we would celebrate with each other's victories. That we would mourn with each other's sorrows, even the ones that we just don't understand. Right? That we would, that we would care enough about one another to identify with them. To sit with them. To care for them. To serve them. And it's the church's responsibility to care for its members. This is why we cannot just be a lecture hall who gathers to hear the word preached. We, we must care for one another. I, I love this passage because in it we see the apostles setting up this ministry, if you will, this, this initiative, a decision. We need people in charge of this to make sure that it happens. And you, you notice how the apostles, they don't feel like they need to legitimize it by being in charge of it themselves. No, not only that, but the men that they pick from among them, these are, these are members of the congregation. These, are, these people, just they, they are part of the community of faith, these men that they choose. It's not that they're the sole people responsible for serving within the church. It's rather that they are the head people. They're, they're, they're to set the example. They're to, to lead the way. They're to make sure that nothing is left undone. That's their role. Because in the end, it is the church's responsibility, not just the pastors, but the, the church collectively as a body. It is our responsibility to care for one another. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that starts with the apostles and these gifts that we might associate more with teaching and preaching the word. And, and like we've been saying, the word is so central to all of this because without the gospel, we have no motivation. We have no driving force. We don't know what it is we're doing. And we're not actually loving or serving Christ. But when those pieces are in place, when the word is faithfully preached and proclaimed, and when the people of God hear it and they receive it and they live from this understanding of God's grace toward sinners, it results in in the building up of the body. It results in the very practical outworking by which we, we care and serve and minister to one another. This is the church's responsibility to, to care for those who are prone to being overlooked, maybe, to care for those that we are prone to neglecting ourselves. Let's, let's, let's pause for a minute and think who are you prone to overlooking? Who are you prone to neglecting? In the church, in this church, who are you prone to overlooking? This is a question we always need to be asking ourselves. The gospel compels it, doesn't it? Who are we overlooking? put together a, a list of people that I think maybe we as a church are maybe prone to overlooking, prone to neglecting. And, and remember, overlooking isn't always an issue of intention. Sometimes it's just a matter of impact. The result, the consequences of the fact that we just haven't seen. I think about people who have disabilities, people with special needs of various kinds. Is our church the kind of church that, that welcomes these brothers and sisters into fellowship? And, and it, it's easy to say, well, on the surface, yes, absolutely. No, of course, the gospel is, is for everybody. But practically, what, what, are, what are we actually doing to care for these people? What, what, what needs do they have that we maybe aren't familiar with because we're not in the same position? Or, or, or do our conversations tend to drift more toward the people that, that we can identify with more easily? And so maybe there's not a physical need that a person might have, but yet we, we are ignoring them simply because they're, we, we, just, we just don't gravitate toward them. Think about 
Think about people of color, people with different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, people with different cultural experiences. You know, it's, it's really easy to, to feel like and to get caught in a cycle of feeling like your experience of the world is all that there is. And that you can, you can explain or understand someone else's fears or concerns or sorrows. And, and I think that shows very, very, very commonly when we talk about race relations. But brothers and sisters, the way we care for one another cannot be limited to us telling those who aren't like us what their situation is, as though we understand. But rather, it requires us, especially, especially if you're in the majority, which, which at Crosspoint, I think, I think it can oftentimes feel like maybe we're a bit more homogenous than we are. But you feel like everyone's got the same understanding of things as you, and that's just, it's just not true. How will we listen to and care for our brothers and sisters of color? How will we do it? The, the solution isn't just to preach the gospel. That has to be lived out. It has to be fleshed out. I think about um, widows, women in our church who are Socially, maybe more vulnerable than others. Um, and recently, we've started a, a ministry. Bill Harrison, one of our elders, has put together a, a ministry specifically with the purpose of caring for women in this church who need help around the home or, or whatever, you know. And on that note, I think about single moms who are working to raise children, provide for them, and follow the Lord faithfully, and, and how, how, what are the ways in which we aren't, we just, we're just oblivious to the needs that she might have? Think about, uh, think about children in our church, and the, the importance of children's ministry, and what right what a ripe harvest field is here in our own midst that because we love the preaching, we, we, we refuse to, to go into the harvest for. I don't mean to step on toes. I, I really do not. But the gospel that we believe should, should push us, right? Should push us into, into deliberately, actively seeking out those that we otherwise would never interact with. And for many of us, for too many of us, that, that includes our own children. But we've covenanted together as a church body to care for one another, to care for one another's kids, to point them to the gospel in a way that they can understand when, when they won't listen to their own parents. Think about single, middle-aged adults. We just kind of assume everything's fine. They don't have any concerns or worries or doubts or fears. They're, they're, they're moving along. They're managing. How, how can we care for them? How can we care for older generations in the church? How can we care for people who are quiet, 
or socially unconnected or shy? How can we care for people who are quietly struggling, who have simply just gone unnoticed by the body? I, I, I know for a fact, right, there are some of you in here who are wrestling with, with sin, you're wrestling with brokenness that you would rather no one know about, and, and that is understandable. But I wish that Crosspoint was more of a church where those sort of people couldn't feel comfortable for too long hiding in the darkness. But instead of being, of being worried about being shamed or ostracized, they, they, were, they were greeted with love and concern and care as we root out sin together. All right, the, the church should be a place where people with deep, dark secrets feel like they too will, will have a seat at the table where they can where they can be ministered to and cared for. How is Christ calling us to serve our brothers and sisters? And maybe you can think of a million other kinds of people to add to that list. How can we help them to feel seen and served? How can we build one another up in love as Ephesians exhorts us? I, I think first of all, and this is just, Seems like common sense, but I mean, we, need, we need to know people, right? We need to know who, who is here. We need to know who it is that we don't know. And, and some of the best ways to, to, to find out and to meet people and to, to get to know others is to simply show up, not just on Sunday morning, but member meetings. We, we roll out new members every two months. It's ripe fruit for you to say, oh, I know these people now, or at least I know their names, I know their faces, and I can reach out to them, I can grab them, I can take them to lunch, I can pray for them, I can encourage them, I can know who they are, instead of on Sunday morning just walking past, because you don't really know anybody. If you're a member of this church, you need to be coming to member meetings, if for no other reason than it is very difficult to practically serve one another if you don't know who the one another is. Midweek fellowship, we, we meet periodically throughout the year on Wednesday nights. We, we go through the word, and, and not only that, though, we pray for one another. We go over real prayer needs within the life of the church. Small groups, community groups. We don't have nearly enough of them. If you want to be a leader, please let me know. But small groups are a place where you can go and you can be known. And can I just tell you how important it is to be known for your own soul? for the good of your own soul, that people would know who you are, what makes you tick, what pitfalls you face, and will care for you and press in on you. And likewise, if you're a member of the church and you're not a part of a community group, that's fine, but what ways are you practically getting to know one another on a deeper level than you are right now, seated in your chair looking straight ahead? Right, we... We have so many means available to us to get to know one another. We should avail ourselves of them. And, and likewise, then we should go to our brothers and sisters who we may be tempted to overlook, and we should listen. We should bring them to us. We should, we should show hospitality to one another, more than just inviting them into your home, but actually showing welcome. Will people feel welcome and received in your home and, and, and not just tolerated in the church. Now, the, the standard for serving and caring for one another, the standard for preaching the gospel in the life of the, of the community of faith is not that we would just 
bear with one another, that we would just accept one another and try to find the positive. No, the, the standard is that we would delight in one another. First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You are. You are. You are my glory and joy. The, the brother or sister next to you should also be your glory and joy. Not because we worship one another, not because we idolize one another, but because by looking at one another, we are reminded of the greatest thing that is true of us, which is that Jesus Christ has loved us, given his life for us, redeemed us from the pit, and brought us into fellowship and into a family with one another. That is why we delight in one another, because by delighting in one another, we are, in truth, delighting in the glorious work of our God and Savior. Do you see the implications of this? Do you see why preaching the gospel without serving one another rings so hollow? Because if you could preach the gospel without delighting in the work of the gospel, then you've missed it. You might not understand the gospel. If you're not loving the people that Jesus loves to death, do you love Jesus? I worry. And I'm afraid that there are some among us who may feel like they are not loved or cared for. And how will we care for them? How will we show them the gospel? How will we live it out? We need to delight in one another. Celebrate the work that Christ has done. The church should be the place in this broken world where the overlooked and marginalized are given good news and served. The church should be that place. Crosspoint should be that place. And I think there are a lot of ways in which we are. Let's not settle, right? Let, let, let us strive to serve one another and care for one another to the best of our God-given ability. This is my third point, is that this, all of this, is what Christ has done for us. This is what he has done for us. And it is not that we are paying him back. It is that we are living out the fruit of the gospel that he has so lavishly graced us with. Luke 22, 26 and 27 says, rather, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one typically, who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. Ephesians 2, 6 through 8, says that though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's Philippians 2. This is what Jesus has done for us. By serving us, he has given us himself. And he has set us free from bondage to sin and death. Jesus, if you want an example of preaching the word and serving tables, it is Christ crucified. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in his resurrected glory. You know, he, made, he made breakfast for the disciples after his resurrection. It wasn't just a neat trick he was trying to show them. No, we, we, we show who Jesus is. We show the power of the gospel when we care for those who are neglected. When we were neglected and overlooked, it was Christ who saw us, loved us, and served us with his very life. He overcame all of our brokenness and sin, and he calls us his brothers and sisters. So let us imitate him, and let us trust in him alone for friendship and fellowship with God. Let's pray. Father, I am aware that within our midst, within our church, our brothers and sisters who, for whatever reason, have been neglected by the church in the past or maybe even right now feel as though they are themselves being overlooked. I pray that we would, we would make this right. That we as a church family would more than simply acknowledge one another's presence. We would delight in one another, and, and, and not in a worldly way, not just delighting in people for the sake of it, but delighting in people knowing the work that you have done to display your love to even them, just as you have for us. Help us to be mindful people. Help us to be people acutely aware of our own propensity to, to gravitate per, toward people who are just like us, who look like us, or who are in the same socioeconomic status as we are, or go to the same school, or speak the same language. Help, help us to get beyond these categories that hem us in and prevent fellowship. Lord, I pray that Crosspoint would be a church that is a, a harbor, a refuge for the least of these. I pray that Crosspoint would be a place that preaches your word and serves one another with such fervency 
and such zeal that, that the world outside, our city, our, our state, our, our country would be chastened and shown the beauty of the gospel, which alone gathers us together at the table of your grace and fuels us with grace toward one another that we might care for and serve one another even when it is most difficult. Lord, we, we, we say this, we pray this because we are so thankful and I pray even more acutely aware of the, the ways in which you have loved and served us when we were ourselves on the margin. We were dead in our sins and you gave us life through Christ because of your love. Lord, help us to be like him. Help us to serve your bride, to serve your people out of love for Christ, not to repay, but to exercise the gifts that you've given us, the gift of this good news. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.